0: Hello, everyone. Before we begin, I just want to make an announcement. We had some technical difficulties with our earlier recording, and thus it had to go. So this is kind of an audio reenactment of what happened there. So everything you hear, everything that Laris does that she can succeed or fail at, we are going to just narrate how she succeeded or how she failed. We'll be returning to the normal solo shot format next week. May the force be with you.
1: Laris is haunted by unsettling dreams as she discovers her medical condition is failing to improve. After losing several days of memories, she must reconstruct the parameters of her next mission, if the unsteady truce in the camp doesn't completely collapse first. This is a distress call to any vessel. I am about to be boarded by an enemy of the Empire. Repeat, I am being boarded by a Jedi, armed and dangerous. I am in need of assistance. Halt, you are attacking a member of the Imperial Intelligence- (laughs) Uh.
0: Laris, your eyes snap open and the memory of where you just were is fading. Typically, you, you don't dream. Dreams are wasted stimuli, and you are nothing if not an efficient subject of the Empire. You suspect that it was the blow to your head which resulted in some sort of malfunction in your central lobe, which generally protects you from these unnecessary stimuli. But no matter, with how your eyes adjust to the light overhead and how the ringing in your ears are dying down, you know the chances of permanent damage from this concussion being relatively low. Speaking of the lights overhead, you note the intricate pattern that runs along the ceiling in the bulkheads. It's the same pattern that one would find in the medical bay of an Imperial I-class star destroyer. And of course, judging by the various sounds coming from the medical equipment around you, you know you are in what is considered the emergency wing of the medical bay. All this information is digested and parsed out within 2.4 seconds of waking up. Within three seconds of waking up, a man hovers over you, trying to shine a light in your eyes. The man, you note, is wearing a uniform of an Imperial doctor.
1: Laris doesn't have time for this, so she sits up immediately.
0: He places a hand on your shoulder, trying to stop you.
1: Where is Agent Saya?
0: Oh, you're awake. I need you to relax. Do not sit up.
1: Laris sits up. What is my condition?
2: You have a mild concussion brought on by... Blunt force trauma.
1: Laris processes that for half a second, and then goes back to demanding, where is Agent Saya?"
0: The doctor hesitates for a second before opting to remain silent. Instead, he reaches out for a medical scanner and begins running a scan on the left side of your cybernetic headband.
1: Inform me of Agent Saya's status.
0: <sighs> the doctor sighs before directing your attention to the far corner of the room. And there you see Agent Castian Saya floating in a bacta tank. Several Imperial doctors move around the tank, adjusting various dials as they monitor his injuries. They seem apprehensive. Either they're afraid they're going to lose this patient, or it's the fact that Agent Saya remains awake, regardless of the amount of sedatives that they keep on pumping into him. He floats most of his face covered by a breathing apparatus, but... You could still see his eyes, and they are wide and alert, and most of all, just filled with rage. Agent Sire is suffering from multiple
2: wounds, most likely from a lightsaber, as well as broken bones, including his vertebrae, from a catastrophic fall.
1: Will he live?
2: I don't even know how he's alive now.
1: You are refusing to answer my question. Uh,
2: The next hour is critical. If he can stay alive then, his... Odds improve, but it will be some time before I know the extent of his damage.
0: Laris, before you have a chance to ask another question, the door opens on the far side of the medical bay, and even if you're back turned, you know it's two stormtroopers. The sound of their armored boots hitting the metal floor is unmistakable. They approach you, their posture is professional, but not threatening. We are to escort you to our
1: commanding officer. Of course. Laris climbs off the bed.
0: Please, agent.
1: She doesn't even acknowledge him as she stands up and falls in line with the stormtroopers.
0: The stormtroopers lead you out of the medical bay and into the corridors of the ship. And while you were 97.3% sure that you were on an I-class Imperial Star Destroyer by how the medical bay looked, you are now 100% sure. The corridors are wide and filled with technicians, naval officers, and stormtroopers. The stormtroopers lead you to a turbolift, step inside on either side of you, and you go up. The stormtroopers again show their professionalism by not
1: making small talk. Which is how Laris prefers it.
0: The turbolift door opens, and in front of you is an office. An office that is typically reserved for a commanding officer, and while most Imperial captains prefer to keep their office fairly barren, save for the occasional hollow image of their family on their desk this office is different. On the walls are various pieces of art, and while you've never been programmed with an extensive knowledge of art, you could tell that these pieces are not from just one artist, or even one species. You detect the curvature that most Twilight art pieces are known for, or the subtle coding that always dots the sides of the Botham pieces, or even the slime trail that the Huts use for most of their artwork as a way of signing their work. Where you're at right now, it feels more like an art gallery than an office. It's odd. But no odder than the commanding officer sitting behind the desk. Laris, the Empire is known for its human-centric ideology. But the man behind the desk is no human. Near human, yes, but no human. His skin is blue and his eyes are a glowing red. Even if your extensive knowledge of alien species, you can't place his exact species, though you can easily place the man.
3: Hello, Agent Laris. Please have a seat. We were fortunate enough to be within range of your distress beacon. I am pleased to see that you are recovering.
1: Since Laris does recognize him and recognizes him as a superior officer, she does sit. Your prompt assistance is appreciated, Admiral Thrawn.
3: I see we do not need introductions.
1: I have read some of your battle histories. The scholarship is quite impressive, sir.
3: And I have read your history as well. What there is to be found, at least. If I may be so bold, what has brought you out so far from the Imperial territories?
1: That information is classified, sir.
3: Even to an Admiral?
1: That information is classified, sir.
3: I see. You are not the only one in the Outer Rim with a mission, Agent Laris. I, too, am on a mission here. In fact, I believe you could be quite helpful in what I'm trying to discover.
1: Of course, sir. I would be most pleased to help the Empire in any way that does not infringe upon my other orders.
3: Delightful. What I'm trying to do is for the good of the Empire. You see, I've noticed shipments of Dunium going missing for quite some time large quantities of the mineral, quantities that could build an armada of star destroyers, or perhaps something even bigger. That's what brought me to this asteroid mine. Much like the others I have visited, every asteroid has been picked clean of dunium, much like a corpse in the desert by vultures. No matter what I do, who I ask, where I look, I cannot discover where these shipments are going which means I need to start looking at those with access beyond the military structure. I believe you can help me with that, Adrian Laris, as you are part of the Inquisitorius, correct?
1: Laris, of course, has a perfect poker face, so she reveals nothing on her face and remains silent.
3: Ah, yes. I was curious what the results of this would be. It is against your nature to lie to a superior officer, but how deep does your programming run to protect the Inquisitorius? Silence is a logical choice.
1: Sir, this information that you seek is classified-
3: Classified, yes, but my mission is to save the Empire, not to interfere for petty hunt for an ancient order, which is why I have conscripted you to inform me whenever you hear anything concerning Dunium outside official channels.
1: Laris presses her lips into a thin line. I cannot guarantee compliance with that order.
3: Your loyalty will remain unquestioned. I have arranged it so you will not even remember receiving this order. Sir? While you are unconscious, my technicians installed a subliminal protocol deep within your programming. Congratulations. You will be instrumental in saving the Empire, even from itself.
1: Laris starts to stand up. This is highly irregular, sir, and a violation of Imperial Code. Thrawn says something in a language even
0: Laris doesn't understand. And Laris, you suddenly find yourself sitting in front of a very familiar face. You don't know his species, but you certainly know the man. Hello, Agent Laris. We were fortunate enough
3: to be within range of your distress beacon. I am pleased to see that you are recovered.
0: Laris, the first thing you hear is the heart monitor. Your eyes snap open and you're staring up at Fabric. You are in a tent. And you can't quite remember what was just on your mind, what you were just reliving. But you know it was something that made you confused. But no more confused than why you are here right now.
1: Laris is going to sit up and take a better stock of her surroundings.
0: Right now, you seem to be alone. This is one of the smaller surgical tents that people are left at when they are recovering after surgery, or at least that's what you remember from your time at Doctors Without Sectors. The only thing that you see is a couple of terminals to your left and uh, some equipment to your right. The heart monitor, of course, is attached to your chest.
1: Laris goes to stand up from the bed, but the wire connecting her to the heart monitor kind of jerks her back. So she just looks down, slightly perturbed, pulls out the wire, and goes to a nearby terminal to discover why she's here.
0: This terminal, of course, requires a password to get into it. But the security is, to put it lightly, a joke. It's one of those things of login, admin, password, admin. The screen flickers on, and you don't have to dig. It is actually right there is a file on you, or at least what happened to you and why you're here. It looks like you had what is known as a cerebral aneurysm, or in layman's term, a brain aneurysm. Debris from your neural implant in quadrant synth 8 weakened or thinned a spot on an artery in your brain, which ballooned out and filled with blood. The bulging aneurysm put pressure on the nerve or brain tissue, which might have explained some of the issues that you had been dealing with recently. The temporal fugue that you were dealing with when you flew out here to meet doctors without sectors. Well, it seemed that the pressure became too much and it burst, spilling blood into the surrounding areas and worse, short circuiting the implants in that area. In truth, the area which the aneurysm occurred is usually results in what the doctors called a kessel stall. And that's because if a ship stalls within the Kessel Run, they die. You assume that the reason you're still alive is because of two reasons. One, your implants have some safeguards to brain injuries. And the other one, you most likely collapsed in the middle of a medical camp surrounded by doctors who could get to you immediately. Judging by everything that's been reported here on the terminal, it looks like the implant has been fixed, the aneurysm has been repaired, and that you should make a full recovery, though there are some notes uh, talking about possible treatments for you in the future, Uh, one of which being remove several of these neural implants that are buried deep within your brain.
1: Laris is going to dive a little bit deeper to make sure that while she was out, nobody dug deeper into her background, either trying to discover something about her, or perhaps worse, broadcasting something out about their latest patient.
0: You see that there's been no broadcast out, but you do find something that's a little troubling. And it's not so troubling that you're panicked, but it's something that-
1: Laris does not panic.
0: Of course. It is a breadcrumb that someone could follow. Clearly, the doctor who was trying to save your life, you find out from reading this, it was Dr. Narian. You'd met him previously- He looked up the serial number or tried to look up the serial number of your make and model. There was no information on the holonet, so he didn't dig deeper, but his probably his next course of action was to send it out to a colleague who could dig deeper for him. But there is something on the holonet where someone was looking up a highly secretive imperial cybernetic.
1: I delete that serial number that is recorded in the file.
0: You can delete it, but right now it's already been broadcast out there. But you do delete the local file. Do you want to delete everything on Jane? Captain Jane, as they have it reported. Yes. You do. And just as the last bit of data is completely scrubbed from the system, you hear the swish of fabric and someone enters the tent behind you.
1: Laris turns around.
0: It's Dr. Narian who is actually wheeling in some paddles. You assume that since your heart monitor stopped working, he assumed you were going into some sort of cardiac arrest. He stops as he spots you and looks both confused that you're standing and relieved.
1: If this had truly been a cardiac event, the time that has elapsed between when I removed the heart monitor and when you re-entered the room means that my chances of survival would only be 14.28%.
0: He blinks, staring at you for another two, three seconds before finally getting his bearings. I'm sorry, I, 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 I apologize. We were... There's been an incident... I'm- Jane, thank the stars. You you should not be out of bed yet. How are you feeling?
1: What is the status of my cybernetics?
0: There was a malfunction within your central lobe that resulted in an aneurysm. I have
1: read my medical information. What is the status of my cybernetic implant? It's been repaired.
0: Well, as well as can be done on this backwatered planet, at least. We aren't equipped for cybernetic repair. We barely even are equipped to deal with flesh and bone And
1: I don't even know what's the make and model of your current implant, or where was it installed? That's irrelevant information. If I am repaired, then I wish to return to my ship. You are not fixed.
0: The patch I installed is only temporary. In truth, you need to have the node removed before it causes permanent damage. That could happen within a month, maybe two, or or maybe just a week.
1: Your concern has been noted, Doctor. I agree that you can use my ship for three days, but I do not need your further medical advice.
0: It's already been three days, and now I know that you're suffering from short-term memory loss due to trauma. The longer the cybernetic remains in place, the more likely these incidents are to reoccur and Thank more- you, Doctor.
1: Please inform me when your shipment arrives so I can disengage my vessel and be on my way. And then Laris is going to walk past him and leave.
0: Laris, you exit the tent, and from what you remember from yesterday- Oh, I'm sorry, no. Three days ago- You were informed that the camp is sort of set up in three sections. The middle section is kind of where the marketplace is and where civilians are being treated. Uh, The east is where the Hur soldiers are, and then the west is where the Vajar soldiers are. And right now you are smack dab in the middle. It's midday and it's very busy. The one thing you can note is that it seems that the battle that was surrounding this place earlier has moved on further down the valley. You can still hear it in the distance, but right now, nothing's hitting the shield that is surrounding this place.
1: Since it's been a few days, Laris is going to return to her ship.
0: okay. So you're heading towards the Howling Dundark.
1: Dark. Uh, serial number 2489563.
0: Right. You are heading back towards your serial number...
1: 2489563. Really, it's quite simple to remember. It's a simple mnemonic.
0: You move past the recovery tent area, and through the impromptu marketplace where people are selling everything from little fruit bars to literally antiques. Anything to try to get them enough money to get off this planet. And you head off towards the lone impromptu landing bay that is near the power plant. And there it is, your ship, the Howling Gundark. It looks no worse for wear. Though as you do approach that static electricity that kind of was driving you away from it a couple days ago, It's still there. It's not unbearable, but it's uncomfortable.
1: Is the loading ramp down? Can she just walk onto the ship or does she need to request permission to board from Skitter?
0: Well, the ramp is absolutely closed. And just as you reach for your comm unit to reach out for Skitter – You hear the familiar skittering uh, from around the ship, and yes, Skitter is actually out on patrol. He, in his lone little wrench arm, is carrying what looks to be a metal rod that he occasionally hits on the ground, trying to scare away some of the rodents that are kind of congregated around some of the fuel. And he spots you and says, Oh, hello, madam! (laughs) He skitters towards you. Your absence has been
2: noted, and your return has been met with jubilation! Are you feeling well?
1: I am fine. Has Naja been in the ship in my absence?
2: no, madam. That Rodian has not been in here. I have supervised all repairs personally. We are in tip-top shape and are ready to launch with your passengers in the morning.
1: What passengers?
2: The passengers you informed me of two days ago. Two passengers who required bunks prepared for them. Shall I show you the preparations I made for them?
1: Laris's poker face is beginning to slip. This is beginning to become a concern, purely for practical reasons, as it is affecting, potentially, her business. But she can't let all that on to Skitter, so she just says, no.
2: Very good, madam. However, if I may be so bold, I didn't have time to register this when you were informing me of the passengers, but... I insist that the large man with the cigar be banned from lighting up within the confines of the ship. It is highly irregular.
1: You are speaking of TK. He was here when I made the arrangements for these passengers.
2: Well, yes, he seemed to be the one with the greater knowledge of the passengers, madam.
1: Thank you, Skitter. And with that, Laris is going to turn on her heel and go find TK.
2: Don't you worry, madam. The ship is safe with me. No rodent will get into the exhaust when Skitter's about. Here.
0: And of course, Skidder skidders off chasing yet another rodent that's sniffing around the fuel hose. So Laris is off, you said, looking for TK? Yes. And it is a very busy camp. It is filled to the brim, probably past what it was recommended to hold. However, after about 30 minutes, you do finally see first signs of security and you kind of follow those few security officers. Until you find them congregating around TK, who seems to be giving orders right now. All right. I need security doubled between the Vajar and the Hur faction. I don't want another riot here. If they do get rowdy, you are authorized to take your weapons off stun. We're not losing any more civilians to this war. You're dismissed. And he takes another drag from his cigar and just waves his hand. And his security officers, as few as they are, scatter, going off to where they were assigned to a patrol. He takes another drag from his cigar, turns, and spots you. Ah, huh, Captain Jane. Glad to see you're among the living.
1: Laris steps up to approach him. You are exaggerating, attempting to use humor to deflect your discomfort.
0: Sorry, force of habit. I was worried when you collapsed in front of me. I'm glad Narian was able to patch you up, but seriously, are you, are you feeling all right?
1: Yes, I'm fine. And that's all Laris is going to say, allowing an uncomfortable silence to form if TK doesn't fill it.
0: And he doesn't. And it's very uncomfortable. Until finally he takes another drag from his cigar. Alright, so did you come to thank me for dragging you to the med tent, or is there anything in particular you want to talk about?
1: Laris nods. As a side effect from my health issues, I am having trouble accessing some of my recent memories. My quartermaster informs me that you have found people seeking passage away from here on my ship. Who are they?
0: Yeah, a mother and daughter. They originally asked if I could get them on an Imperial evacuation vessel, but I told them that the Empire is no longer interested in providing aid here. So I, uh, I sent them to you. Unfortunately, I think one of them got injured in a riot.
1: Riot? Explain.
0: Yeah, the the Vajar thought the Queen's men were getting more food, so things got a little violent. Unfortunately, some of the civilians were caught in the middle, but I'm pretty sure they took the mom to one of the surgical bays. Her name is Helsa. Uh, come on, uh, let me see if I can find her for you. And then TK's walking off towards one of the surgical bays.
1: Laris will follow.
0: Again, it's walking through the ma- marketplace. Uh, but uh, unlike previously when you're just kind of dodging in and out, getting pushed aside by these people, when TK walks, the people part for him. He's a massive man, but not only that, but he just has a massive aura about him. You would think almost he could probably give agent and Saya a run for his money. And this man hasn't shown any signs of being force sensitive. TK enters one of the tents, ushers you in, and he looks around. And right now it seems like you are in a waiting area. And this waiting area is fairly filled with concerned citizens, probably people who are waiting for the other civilians that were injured in this riot. Uh, TK looks around and then he spots a little girl who is kind of hiding in the back. She spots him, but most importantly, she seems to first recognize you, Jane, and hops up. She is, like everybody else here almost, is a Madarin. She is wearing a very intricate, like, wool hood. It looks poor, but layers to you, you could tell that there is some sort of technology, like, interwoven throughout this, some sort of mesh. But everything else about her just kind of screams, poor peasant girl. She runs up to T.K. and he does something that you probably don't think he does often. Uh, He kneels in front of her. Hey, squirt. The doctor's still keeping you out here? How's your mom?
1: She's not my mom. She's Elsa. And the doctors haven't said anything yet.
0: Okay, I'm going to go check. Uh, Jane, you keep an eye on the squirt here. T.K. stands up, notes that he still has his cigar, and then hands it off to Jane. I can't take it in there.
1: Then you should extinguish it.
0: These are expensive. Come on, hold it for me.
1: Laris does not do so.
0: He shrugs and then says, Squirt, help me out, and he gives it to the girl, and the girl absolutely takes the cigar from this man. And he is brushing past all the rest of the civilians in the rating room and entering the back, leaving you with this little girl. She kind of hesitates for a second, sniffs at the cigar, and then decides to look over towards you,
1: Laris. My name's not really Squirt. You may call me Kip. It is a pleasure to make your acquaintance, Miss Jane. Captain. Oh, Captain Jane. Laris nods as her appropriate title and pseudonym is used and goes back to just waiting for TK. Ahem. Laris looks down at the girl. Do you require something? Are you not pleased to make my acquaintance? I am neither pleased nor displeased. Tell me, Kip, do you know if your helsa has already paid for your passage on my ship? Yes, that's why I don't have much left.
0: And with that, she opens up a pouch on her belt and pulls out a few credit chips. She counts them and then kind of gets an excited look on her face.
1: But I might have enough for a fruit bar. I'll be right back.
0: She is heading out of this place, uh, probably heading towards the marketplace where I said there was a place you can buy a fruit bar. Does Laris allow her to go?
1: The closest thing to a maternal instinct Laris has is to say as the girl is leaving, return promptly.
0: And the girl leaves, and about a minute passes before TK storms out of the back, and he looks around, spots you, notices that the girl's no longer there, and then moves quickly to meet you. Poodoo, we have a problem. Helsa's dead.
1: That is unfortunate. Does this mean the contract is void?
0: I don't know. I don't even know where you were supposed to take him.
1: Where is the squirt? Acquiring a fruit bar at the market. She will be back promptly.
0: TK kind of nods his head, and then you notice something off about him. He is a man that, much like you, he has worked on his poker face, or sabak face. He doesn't let a lot of things show, but you notice there's a micro-expression. He's chewing the inside of his cheek barely, as if he's mulling something over.
1: Is there something else that you have discovered?
0: I don't know. Just something weird. Uh, Elsa had one of these on her. And he reaches into his pocket and pulls out – it's a vibro knife, but it's intricately designed. The handle seems to be a molding of several different metals, uh, most likely very expensive metals, gold, silver, platinum, and a few more that's thrown in there for good luck. And there's a jewel at the very bottom of it, a purple jewel.
1: Laris notes the weapon and obviously sees that it's very ornate. Unusual for where we're at currently, but, she'd also say, she was guarding a child in a war zone. Having a weapon on her person seems like a logical precaution.
0: Yeah, but this weapon is for royal guardswomen. From outside the tent, you hear a scream. (coughs) And while you've only known Squirt, or Kip, as she'd called herself, for a brief moment, it sounds very much like her scream. And TK immediately says, Poodoo, and he's charging out.
1: Laris will follow.
0: Laris, you follow TK. And again, a lot of people are just kind of moving out of his way until he finally gets a good look of what's going on. Right now, it looks like several soldiers have pushed Kip to the ground and have taken her fruit bar. And you also notice uh, at least one of the soldiers, the one that probably did the pushing, he has a her armband around his arm. So clearly he is a queen's person.
1: Give me that back.
0: Find us, keep us, love. And he laughs along with the other guards as they turn away and start walking away from this very distressed girl. And it doesn't look like anybody else is going to do anything. This is just kind of how a refugee camp is. Uh, You do see TK. He's starting to kind of breathe in heavily and you know he's about to start marching off to get that fruit bar but he doesn't need to because the little girl reaches out grabs a stone from the ground and launches it into the back of the head of this person who stole her fruit bar Ah, he stumbles and then turns around and he has a snarl on his face and he says you wretched welga beast and he rocks up to her grabs her and he kind of looks like he's going to throw her to the ground and that's when their hood tears and there's a spark that jolts the guardsman back and a small flame starts flickering along the hood and the girl lets out a shriek of panic as she rips the hood off and laris that's when you know what the hood actually was it's a holographic mesh when the person is wearing the hood it alters their face to look like someone differently and while this girl at one time looked like she had a pudgy nose kind of dirty skin, some rough straw-like hair. As soon as she rips the hood off and it's on the ground, you see that her hair is beautifully braided. It's blonde. It shows sign that it's probably been styled its entire life. It looks a little haggard now, but this hair has been taken care of. Her face no longer really has dust around it. Her nose is, instead of being fat, it is a more thin leather strip than what most people have her skin tone is a little bit more pale showing that she does not work in the light she clearly is somebody that spends more time inside than out and that guards person that had ripped off her hood immediately his eyes go wide and you hear him say queen a and he immediately falls to the ground on his knees like begging for forgiveness, and the soldiers that were kind of jeering him on immediately fall behind him, begging for forgiveness. And you see, it's like a domino effect of everybody in this marketplace right now are falling to a knee, and this girl is just standing there, looking very frightened. And TK, while not kneeling, his jaw is hanging open—complete surprise.
1: Laris is going to step up next to TK. Is it correct to infer that this is Queen Lisbon?
0: Yeah. I have no idea what's going on. And then suddenly you hear from across the marketplace someone screams FOR the General And a flaming bottle smashes down in front of the girl, and you hear the scream of soldiers.
1: Laris looks up to see who it is. You don't know
0: exactly who these people are, but you can infer. They're wounded soldiers coming from the west end of the camp. These are the Vajar men, and while everybody else is bowing down, these men have just seen an opportunity to capture the Queen, and they're taking it.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fandible Solo Shot, Star Wars Force and Destiny podcast. You can now find all episodes on the Fandible Solo Shot podcast feed on iTunes and all other podcasting platforms. Please subscribe and leave us a review to help new listeners find us for their Star Wars actual play fix. You can also find us on Twitter at Soloshot Podcast. And if you enjoy the stories we tell here and on the rest of the Fandable Podcast network, consider donating to our Patreon at patreoncom fandible. Thanks again and may the force be with you always.